Lord, thank you for just this sweet time of worship, God. Being in your presence, is not, there's nothing like that in the world. Being with you, God. Your, the sweetness of your presence, Lord. To, to sense your spirit, to hear his voice, to hear your voice, God. That's what we long for. And we thank you for already ministering to our hearts. I know I've been uplifted just, just worshiping you, God. And so, Lord, I ask that you bless your word right now. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. I pray you give each one of us a specific word today, God, that you would speak deeply into our hearts, that that we may be changed, Lord, that our lives, God, would be changed and that we would grow in you and not stay the same, that we would become more committed, uh, more surrendered, more on fire for you. And as we sang, God, stir it up in our hearts, Lord. Stir your word up and stir. Stir up your Holy Spirit in our hearts. So, anoint this time, anoint your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever heard the term, the good life? The good life. Well, what makes the good life? I mean, you you think about that. We all have our definitions and our thoughts of, oh yeah, I want the good life, right? An old Pew Research study I came across shows people in the world have different definitions of what that means, the good life. For example, in this survey, the United States and Norway both look at, uh, most people in the United States and Norway look at the good life as financial wealth. And I, I think we could say, oh yeah, yeah, when we're, we're financially good, oh, that's the good life, right? In France, the good life means to them time off work. And I kind of like that because we like those times of pleasure and everything. In Australia or South Korea, it seems the highest percentage of people, uh, they pick the good life as good health. That's what determines the good life. And, And true, I would say that's part of it too. In Mexico, contrasting all of this, in Mexico, what the good life for them was personal security and safety. And that made sense to me in recent news with the cartels and things going on, right? I mean, the good life for them is, oh, we can, we can be safe, you know, in our home, walk down the street without getting shot or killed. Well, isn't that all what we think of what the good life is? I mean, if we put it together, I think about that. I think about, well, much of our thinking is financial wealth, prosperity, success, right? Spending time with your pleasures or leisure, having, having good health and, and living in relative like peace and safety, right? The good life is like no stress, no worries, everything's going well, we're just happy, right? And we think about the good life in those terms. But what about us as believers? What about us for Christians now? I mean, for me, I don't really say the good life, but you know what I think about is the blessed life, right? We've heard that term, the blessed life. And we know what that is. It means that we're forgiven of our sins. We're freed of our sins. We have heaven. We have this life with Jesus now. I mean, that's the blessed life. Yet, I think many of us Christians still drift back into the world's definition 
of what that blessed life is like. We kind of slide from the blessed life into, well, the good life. And we, we have God and, well, the best that this life can bring. But that's not really what us as believers, that's not what it's really about. I thought it was interesting, R.C. Sproul said this, the difference between the blessed person and the ungodly person is that the blessed person walks according to the course of heaven and not according to the course of the world. I think that, that's a great quote. I think that's a great thought. Well, as we return to our study here in the book of First Peter, Peter focuses in that good life, or I'm calling it the blessed life. I'm really keying in, if you look at real quick, um, 1 Peter 3, verse 10, it says, whoever desires to love life and see good days. That's what I'm keying in on today. And it's, today's message is about living the blessed life. And that's the title of our message, Living the Blessed Life. We're going to be studying 1 Peter chapter 3 from verse 8 through 12 this morning. And, and this is what Peter's putting out to us. This is what Peter is putting out to the readers here of what the blessed life really looks like. And I, I hope it will change your mindset to what the blessed life really means. And, and, it's, and, and what I'm talking about, it's not just, yes, we're forgiven and free and, and we have this life with Jesus. And yeah, we're blessed. But it's how to live this blessed life. Now, there's four components to this. The four components are this. Number one, the good heart. Number two, the gracious response. And number three, the godly criteria. And then one more. Number four, the great motive. So we're going to be seeing those four things in our passage today. And this is our outline. So let's begin with the first component component of living the blessed life, the good heart, the good heart. Look at verse 8. It says here, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, we begin here with Peter saying this one word, finally. Now, when he's saying it, he's not saying, well, this is the end here. It's not the end, because we had got two more chapters, all the way to chapter 5 to go. But the idea really here is that, that it, he's coming into this final thought of what he's been talking about previously. Now, if you remember some of the things that we have covered in the past messages in First Peter, we saw like back in chapter 2, verse 13, about submission to the government. Right. That, I mean, they, Peter's talking about the Roman government who's persecuting Christians. And Peter's saying, look, you still got to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether uh, it be to the emperor as supreme. So government leaders, the government here, Rome itself, he's saying. So we talked about that. And then he talked about, he went on with submission in verse 18 of chapter 2. He says, servants, be subject, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Even if they're not good, even if they're not saved, we are to live in that submission. And then we saw uh, the other Sunday in chapter 3, he writes in verse 1, likewise wives, likewise in what way? Wives, submit to your husbands. And then he says, even if they're not saved, even if they're not following the word and are believers, 
You are to still submit. And we saw in verse 7 of chapter 3, if you look up, it says, likewise husbands. Husbands too, submit in respecting your wives and loving them. So here Peter's flowing in this thought. And and now he comes into verse 8. He says, finally, all of you, now everyone. I'm talking to everyone, not not just wives, husbands, or um, you single guys. Everybody, all believers now. He brings everyone into this thought of what we're going to see today. And all of this, remember, came under how our conduct in this world is to be a light and witness to others. Because what matters is Jesus. What matters is life in Jesus. And that backs us up all the way to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse uh, 12. Remember, keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable. So that's the flow. And as we come into this, Paul's saying, look, let me tell you about the blessed life, about living in this manner that I've been talking about. Let me bring it all in to this. Now, he's going to talk about our heart. He's going to talk about the good heart. And there's five aspects here. He starts listing a lot of things in this passage. But let's look at verse 8 once again. He, there's five aspects of believers keeping the good heart. And he begins, he says, finally, all of you, he begins with this. Number one, have unity of mind. Number one, hold to a like-mindedness. That's what he's saying. Be like-minded. See, as we come together as a body of Christ, we're different parts of the body under one head. But we're working together in a like-mindedness. The NASB translates this into be harmonious, live in harmony. So the idea is, you guys, let's work together now under Jesus, under his purposes, under his plan, under his will. That's the only way we can get together. I mean, we, we're so different. We see things in a different way. We're, we were opinionated. I mean, we like certain things. But how can God get believers together? And be like-minded while we all come under Jesus Christ. His plan, His will, who He is. And that's the unity talking about here. Uh, It's about getting to work together to further the kingdom. To help each other. To to shine the light. That's really the the thought here. So Peter's like, look, you guys, let's be like-minded. Augustine, I like something Augustine said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, he says, liberty. In everything, he says, in all things, love. I like that. That's our heart. I mean, essential doctrines and things that we believe in Christ and God, yeah, we're unified. The non-essentials, yeah, we may differ and all that, but what? We give Liberty, freedom to one another. But in everything that we do, it's done in love. And that's how we can keep the unity. That's what we got to put in our heart. That's how we can be like-minded. Well, the second thing he mentions here is sympathy. Sympathy. And what I call this number two is have compassion. The good heart has compassion. So first, it's like there's a like-mindedness. And secondly, The good heart has compassion. Now, sympathy, literally, the original word means feeling the same thing. It means like moved by by what's going on in the other person. It it, it means your pain affects my heart. 
especially as you go through things, especially as the other person goes through things, and especially we should put in mind toward unbelievers and what they're going through in their fallen nature. So understand, as a church, we're not about, oh, judging each other. We're about having compassion toward one another. And isn't that God's heart anyway? James chapter 5, 11 says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful. And I think we need to question ourselves. Are you? Are you compassionate? The third thing is, Peter says, is we got to treat others like family. Here he uses the word brotherly love in verse 8. And that's the Greek word Philadelphoi or Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? That's what that Greek word really means. It's talking about a family kind of love. It's talking about giving special preference to, say, your family member, making someone feel special because they're like family. I mean, that's the idea in our church. I mean, it should start here in our church, Ohana, as we are members of God's household, but also it should spread to anybody who might visit us or come walk in, and it should overflow into our community, especially the lost. You know, what I was thinking about is how, you know, we can go to certain stores and stuff and, and flash our license and we get the Kama'aina discount, right? Well, we're treated like family. We're treated like, oh, special. We're treated like while we live here, we belong here. And, and you know what? That's Peter saying we should do that for one another, but we should also do that to the world. We should demonstrate this kind of love to a loveless world. So the good heart has this like-mindedness, has, has compassion and treating others like family. And the fourth thing we see in verse 8 is a tender heart. We are to have a tender heart. Now, that's related to having sympathy and compassion. But the root word literally is, is from the bowels, uh, from the intestines. It, it affects, affects you deeply. It, it, it's like, you know, when something happens and you get sick to the stomach. It's like you feel it. I mean, it's related to compassion. It's related to sympathy. But it goes even deeper into having a tender heart toward, toward those in the church or, or someone who's not saved. I was thinking about the moment in Luke 19.41 when Jesus came upon Jerusalem. And when he saw the lostness of the people, knowing their rejection of him, their Messiah, he was moved so deeply, it says in Luke 19.41, that he wept loudly. This is God's heart. This is God's tender heart. Um, We need to have a soft heart like that. How's your heart? Is it more hard? Uh, Maybe you don't weep. You're more angry. Maybe you're more hostile. You know what? God is telling us, we got to change you guys. We can't operate that way no more. If you want to live the blessed life, then you got to have a good heart like this. You got to operate, have this kind of attitude inside you. All right, so number one in verse eight, we see the good heart. A second component in living the blessed life is number two, the gracious response. The gracious response. Look at verse nine now. It says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless 
For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. Now, Peter writes on on how to treat those who have mistreated you. Now, remember the backdrop to this letter. He's writing to believers and Christians who are under severe persecution. They've been abused. They've been rejected. They've been attacked. They've been arrested. They've been treated super bad. They've lost their homes, many of them, their jobs. Things are going on. It's not a great time for believers. And with this, Peter gives three aspects of keeping a gracious response. And this is really part of the blessed life. Number one, he says in verse 9, retaliate no more. Number one, get this, retaliate no more. He says, don't repay evil for evil. When evil is done to you, don't come back with the same. That's what he's saying. That, that, that's not what you do. A lot of times we feel like, well, someone does evil to me, then that's the excuse for me to do evil back. We feel like, well, well, that allows me the license to be in my flesh and retaliate on that same kind of level, right? That's justice. That's, that's unfair what they did. So I'm just going to return this, the same back to them. Well, that's our fallen nature, isn't it? Peter's saying, don't repay evil for evil. Retaliate no more. Because you know what? That's our fallen nature. That's our flesh. That's what we were like before Christ. We wanted to get revenge. We wanted to retaliate. And, and you know what? It, even as Christians, it still can be in us, right? Something happens. Someone honks the horn who's sitting behind you when you're at, as soon as the light turns green, our honk is like, what? I mean, there's nothing that, you know, brings our blood to a boil that, I don't know why, driving, right? And, and, and these crazy drivers. Or I was thinking how we all love those movies, right, where um, something is done wrong to a person. And then the whole movie is about how this hero will get back at the wrong that has been done to them. And we're like, yeah, yeah, and in the end, yeah, that was a good movie. Yeah, they got back. But I was thinking we got to be careful because then it, it could stoke the fires of our flesh when God is calling us to do something else. Paul wrote in Romans 12, to, he said, Beloved, you guys, never avenge yourself, but leave that to the wrath of God. Because And then he quotes scripture, he says, It's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Part of that too, of not repaying evil for evil or or retaliate no more. He also says in verse 9 is, uh, uh, or reviling for reviling. If you're insulted, you're not to repay by insulting back. Again, it's natural in our flesh. When someone speaks evil of you, um, when they're unjust, say unjust things about you, it's easy for us to get back and cut with words. I was thinking about David had prayed in Psalm 58, 6, break the, the, their teeth in their mouths, you know. And for some of us, we read that like, yeah, amen, that's my life verse, get revenge, Lord. But that's not our attitude. We are to follow Jesus 
in this. And if you remember back in chapter 2, verse 23, it says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. So, retaliate no more. But what does he tell us to do in verse 9? Number 2 is repay with a blessing. He says, But on the contrary, bless for this for to this you were called. In contrast to that, you know what? Don't return evil for evil, but do good in return. Bless them. What does that mean to bless them? You know what it means? It means to, it means to forgive them. It means to give grace in return. It means to love in return. Peter, I'm sure, got this from Jesus because he said in Luke 6, bless this those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And he said, love your enemies. We know those verses. That's blessing back. That's blessing in return. Notice it says here in verse 9 that on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called. Do you understand that? We are called to this. It's not multiple choice. It's not what we feel like. It's like being called yeah to minister yeah in a certain way called to serve the lord think about it this way you're called to bless those who do evil to you to those who revile you let me put it this way you can live on one of three levels in your christian life you can live on one of three levels if you return evil for good then that's the satanic level. That's what Satan does. A second level is if you return good for good. That's the human level. That's what we do naturally. Someone does something for us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy to return good for good. But the third level is returning good for evil. And that's actually the divine level. And that's the level we are to live on, to be living a blessed life. Now, if you do this, the third thing we see is that Peter says that you will receive the blessing. It says that you may obtain a blessing at the end of verse 9. So, retaliate no more. Repay with a blessing. And you know what? You'll receive the blessing. We know Jesus talked about that in Luke 6, that you will be rewarded if you're persecuted for your faith. But I, I believe he's talking about, you know what? You'll live. A blessed life, you guys. Think about this. When you live in this way, when you live out your new creation, who God is making you out to be, you know what? You're not consumed with that anger. Yeah. You're not in bondage to the bitterness. The hurt and the pain doesn't turn into this hate. And those of you who have been caught up in that understand what kind of bondage that is. How it consumes, how, how day and night it just goes through your mind and won't go away. It's not a blessed life. It's not the good life. But when you submit yourself to God and obey Him and live out this new life, you know what? You're free of these things. And you can live the blessed, blessed life. That's what it is. The gracious response means, look, retaliate no more for evil. The gracious response is, 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 is return with a blessing. And you know what? If you, if you do that, you'll be blessed. And you'll have a blessed life. 
Listen, remember we talked about the other day how we are being formed into the image of Christ, right? Romans 8, 29. And what we're becoming more and more like Christ in character. That, that's what God wants to do in our hearts and in our lives. Well, well, don't we want to be like God? Don't we want to follow Him? This is part of following Him, is, is being these things. C.H. Spurgeon said, The Lord may not give gold, but He will give grace. He may not give gain, but He will give grace. And I like that. Because it reminds me of what God has done for me. We're only here because of His grace. I'm, only, I'm standing here because of His grace. It's not like I'm pure and holy or anything. I, I've, I've failed the Lord. I've failed you guys. I've, I've failed my wife, my family. But by His grace... I'm here. And who am I to withhold that grace on others? So this is the gracious response. So living the blessed life, two components, the good heart, the gracious response. Let's go to the third component, the godly ethic. The godly ethic. Look at verse 10 and 11 here. It says, For whoever desires to love life, And see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Okay, Peter's like, see, this is the secret. He kind of uh, uh, brings in now uh, the secret to the blessed life, what he's been talking about. And he comes in where he actually quotes from the Old Testament here. That's why it's in quotes. After four, he's, he's supporting his thoughts here. Remember, Peter has been trained by Jesus himself in the Old Testament scriptures. And now he, he's bringing in this reference to, to say, look, I, I, this is what God's word says, not just me. And so he's supporting everything he says. And he begins with, with this, verse 10. Uh, whoever desires to love life and see good days. Now he's quoting Psalm 34 verses 12 through 16 in the rest of our, our section. But he comes in saying, look, you want to love life? I mean, how many of you have had times when you woke up and said, I hate life. I hate this. Yeah. Or, 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 or you wish you could see good days. Well, here's Peter. Look, you want to love life? You want to see good days? You want to live that blessed Life? This is what he's getting into. This is what he's talking about. He comes to this point of his whole theme in this section here. I was thinking about how the Italians call, uh, call this la dolce vita. It means the sweet life. But they talk about chasing after things. They talk about, like we said earlier, money or wealth or leisure or, or even relationships. To, to find gratification in that. But, but think about that. In the world's terms, it's all about us chasing after some self-gratification. It's, it, 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 that's what the world's definition is. But Peter's like, look, you want to love life? You, you, you want to see good, good, good days? It's not about what you get. You know what it's about? It's about being. It's about living out who you are in Jesus Christ. 
And you guys understand that, who have been walking with the Lord for a while. You understand, when, when you get your life right with God, oh, there's, there's just something. There may still be problems around you, but there's, there's settledness in you. There's this peace. There's, there's this clicking with God and connection with His will and plan. And, and you have this security. It's hard for me to explain But you understand that, right? When you really get right with God, when you start really living for Him, even though there's all this maybe chaos and hurricane around you, you're at peace. You feel fulfilled. That's what Peter's saying, is getting to live in that way of who you are now in Christ. So it's not about getting, it's about being. And here, he brings up three aspects of keeping to the godly ethic. Number one, first thing he says here, look, if you want to love life, see good days, then let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So watch your tongue. That's what he's saying, number one. Watch your tongue. Keep your tongue from evil, from saying evil things, from things like that coming out of your mouth that aren't godly, that aren't worthy of the Lord. I mean, would you say certain things if Jesus was right there? No. We would not. We will hold back on those evil things. And then he says, and deceit. Yeah, uh, 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 keep your tongue from speaking deceit. That, that's talking about lies, manipulation. James 3 says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It, it's been said that the most vicious beast in the world is caged behind human teeth. That's our tongue. That's our tongue. Listen, Jesus told the Pharisees, he really called them on this. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. What is Jesus saying? Well, when that evil, when those things come out, you know, it's coming from here. It's an indicator that something's not right inside your heart. And we need to deal with that. It's an indicator that perhaps you're not yielding your heart to the Holy Spirit, but to your flesh, to you, to sin, to evil. So be careful, you guys. Not just to keep your mouth closed, but to go to the root things that are in the heart. Some people are happy just, oh yeah, I, 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 I held back. I didn't say, but I really wanted to. You know what I think? I think when I think that, I think, God, I don't want to. I don't want that want in my heart, right? I want that dealt with. I want that want. Something's still wrong if I want that. I want that dealt with by the Spirit. Secondly, watch your tongue. Secondly, watch your conduct. Watch your conduct. He says in verse 11, Let him turn away from evil and do good. Remember, Peter's talking to these believers been treated badly. He says, no matter how you've been treated, don't be tempted to do that evil back, to retaliate, to repay with evil. No, do good. Don't be tempted to, to go off and do your own thing, uh, to do what makes you feel good. I, I was thinking about sometimes people can get upset at God because some bad things happened. Things didn't work out the way they thought that God should work it out. And then they get upset at God. And they say, well, forget it. And then they go and do bad and even worse. 
That's making up your own rules. That's not trusting in the Lord. That's doing your own thing. No, you know what? The blessed life is following God. Watch your conduct. And then the last thing, number three, is be a peacemaker. He says here in verse 11, let him seek peace and pursue it. Not retaliation, not war, but seek peace. It says to, to pursue, seek peace and pursue it. The word pursue means like to hunt. It, it, it go after making peace. Paul said in Romans 14, 19, pursue peace. Uh, pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That's what we are to really be about. So the godly ethic is to watch your tongue, watch your conduct, be a peacemaker. You know, some of us are, are really good at our diets. This um, past holidays, um, our daughter-in-law, her mother and her husband came and stayed at our house for holidays and um, it was nice. It was nice having them, and we got to know them really well. And, and because of some health problems and things, they really watch what they eat. And they didn't always eat what we eat when we had family dinners, but that's fine, right? And it's all good, right? Watching your salt intake, your sugar, um, you know, what certain foods. Um, the mom was, uh, didn't sit well with her and her stomach and, and all that. So so you're, you're disciplined in that. Some of you are really good at that. I, I have to confess, I failed during the holidays. <laughs> it was so much good food, right? So much for diet. But, you know, I was thinking about how some of us are so disciplined, so good at what we put into our bodies, what we eat, yeah? You're, you're really strong at it. I mean, for me, I, I wasn't strong. I got tempted and, and had that candy or had that thing, you know? But then when it comes to our walk with God, when it comes to spiritual things, we're so loose on it. We're good at our physical, but how about the spiritual side? And I think that's important to bring up. There's a godly ethic that will have you live that blessed life if we will follow that. If you don't, the consequences of sin will come in and mess things up. But God is still there, you guys. God is still there. His love, His forgiveness. Maybe, maybe you're here, you're connected online, and Paul, oh, you're going through these consequences now. But God's not saying, see, I told you, I'm done with you. That's not what He's saying. He's saying, no, come. I want to help you. I want to forgive you. I want to, I want, I want to try and heal things and make things right. I, I, I want you back. I want you with me. I want you to want me in your life right now. That's the Lord. And that's God's heart. And with that heart, you know what? We've got to get back on track. We've got to get back to that ethic. Some of you have a really good work ethic. Yeah? You're very faithful and loyal and, and you do what you're asked to do. Well, shouldn't, it be, shouldn't we have a godly ethic in how we live? Before the Lord, our God, who loves us, Jesus who died for us, Jesus who sacrificed himself for us so that we can be saved and known. You guys, let's get back on track and put priority on the godly ethic. 
This is what it's about, living the blessed life. It's not so much getting, but it's being. It's having that good heart, uh, giving a gracious response, and being that person with a godly ethic. Let's go to our last uh, component here. And number four is the great motive, the great motive. And this is our last verse here for this morning. It reads, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter finishes this quote from Psalm 34. And first of all, the first thing I want you to see here that should motivate you, it says, number one, the eyes of the Lord, you know what, they're focused on you. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Righteous means like, followers of God. Uh, we can translate as us believers. Uh, Christ's righteousness is upon us because of the cross. So God keeps watch now over his followers. The eyes of the Lord, number one, are focused on you as a believer. Now, our first read, we might think that, well, it looks like, well, God is watching to see if I'm going to sin or blow it. And then he's going to come down on me. And then he's going to judge me. Though God sees all things, that's not what it's about. What Peter's talking about is God watching over you with care, with compassion, making sure you're okay, protecting you, providing for you, being there for you. You know when the little ones go to the beach and, and there I'm always like, okay, watching, watching the water, the waves coming in and out, right? You want to make sure they're okay, that they're not going to be swept out. And you're ready, you're ready, you're protecting them, you're in the water with them, or, or you're ready to, to get up and go. That's the Lord, the eyes of the Lord. You know what, they're focused on you. It's, it's, it's about care and compassion on you. And then he says here in verse 12, his ears are open to their prayer. Isn't that beautiful? Number two is the ears of the Lord are listening for you. The eyes of the Lord are focused on you. And the ears of the Lord are listening for you, for your prayer. The sense here is that God bends his ear down to respond to your cry of help. I mean, these guys are going through a lot. Yet, they're seeing God come in. They're seeing God answer prayer. They're, even as they're going through this persecution, they're finding God right there in many different ways. His fingerprints are all over. And so Peter's encouraging, hey, listen, the ears of the Lord, they're, they're listening to you. I mean, this is the motive, you guys, of living the blessed life. That, that we would do these things, have a good heart, a gracious response, a godly ethic, and it should motivate us because God's right there, a part of us. God's right there working with us. God's right there answering prayer. Psalm 50, 15 says, um, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. You see, God wants to show himself to you and to everyone else around you. Well, the third and last thing in this, the great motive that moves us to keep living the blessed life is the face of the Lord is against evildoers. It says the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, understand this. In the Old Testament terms, and this is how Peter 
being this Jewish person. Uh, now he's very uh, versed in Old Testament scripture. In the Old Testament, the eyes of the Lord, eyes, when that's mentioned, is always talking about watching over you with care and concern. But when it comes and is worded with the face of the Lord, it refers to judgment for unrepentant sin. So, in a way now, this comforts the Christians who are being mistreated by the world because God, he's going to bring justice. No worries. Vengeance is mine. You, you let him do his job. We need to have that good heart, the gracious response, a godly ethic. And so our motive is to be the, this kind of Christian, understanding his eyes are focused on us. He's listening to our prayers, and his face is against the evildoers and what they do against you. I like something John MacArthur wrote. You can live like that, talking about all this that Peter has been saying, without fear, because whatever difficulty you get into, you don't need to be the one who gets you out. All you need to do is let the Lord know, and he is ready to hear your prayer. What a tremendous promise. What a glorious truth. I love that. Hold on to what we're saying here. Hold on to what God is calling us to be and do. And you know what? We can have that good life. We can, we can love life. We can have that blessed life. Now I know Peter's packed so much into these five verses. And I don't want you to be overwhelmed. But I want you to pick a few things here that you know God is speaking to you about. The Holy Spirit is convicting you about. And, and as we close here, I want you to keep in mind, no one's perfect in all of this. Nobody. We're all growing. But in our failures, which are real, we have a real God that can make a difference in our life. I want to close with this. I read about a Christian wife who got into this really bad argument with her husband. And she was so angry, she stormed around the house. She started swearing, which she had stopped doing a while back, slamming doors. She walked into the kitchen, opened every cabinet door, and then went back and slammed them all. As she walked over to the side screen door, there standing on the other side of the screen was her neighbor with a cup of sugar in her hand. The neighbor stood there awestruck after hearing and seeing everything that had just went on. Well, as you can imagine, the wife was so shamed by her failure, and, and especially because she'd been trying to witness to this neighbor for like two years. Yeah, oops. <laughs> well, what did the wife do? She invited the neighbor in and sat down with her, apologized for what the neighbor saw and confessing the wife's own weakness. And then the wife shared how the Lord Jesus forgives and gives grace, even when she fails like this. And you know what? That day, the neighbor came to give her life to Christ. You see, life is not blessed when you yield yourself to the flesh, that anger, with the bitterness, with that 
that, that retaliation. But it is blessed when you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. And that's being real about your failure. And, and it's being real in light of God's love. And that can be powerful. Being humble, being compassionate, showing love, experiencing and sharing the grace of God is the kind of life God is calling us to live. And that's what it means to be living the blessed life. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we love you, God. We really do. God, our, our hearts, Lord, are, are moved and in so many ways that we have seen and read right now and heard. And Jesus, we want to just confess right now our failures. The times that we have given into retaliation, anger, hatred, bitterness, where we put standards on people that aren't your standards. Your standard is for us to love, give grace, to forgive, to help them come to Jesus. But Lord, we've been instrumental in pushing people away from you. But God, today we want to be different. Today, Lord, we want to commit our lives and our heart to you. Today, God, we want to be living the blessed life, Lord. Not seeking after what the world thinks it is, but being who you want us to be and finding, God, that connection with you. Being in your will, Lord. Uh, slotting into your plan and your purpose for us in this life. And that even when persecution, trouble, or trial goes on, that you, Lord, you're still there. And we find that. We see miracles every day. We see your fingerprints, Lord, and we find security and peace in that. So, Lord, forgive us for our failure. Forgive us of our sin right now. God, you're calling us, Lord, to change. To not let this message just go through one ear and the other. and Leave here, God, just the same. No, Lord. You're stirring us up to be different. To walk in your spirit, not in the flesh. To not allow certain things anymore, no more, to go down deep into our heart cleanse our minds, to touch our soul so that who we are now in you, Jesus, would come out. Not the old us, but the new us. Lord, help us now. In Jesus' name. I want you guys to just keep your head bowed and eyes closed right now. And I want to give you an opportunity. I'm going to go and... Uh, Get ready and get my guitar and all. But as I do, I want you to, in just this time, this moment, in the silence of your heart, just go before the Lord. I know he's spoken to all of us. God is speaking to me in several areas here. This is a time to repent of your sins. This is a time to recommit your life. This is a time to find forgiveness, cleansing, and let God renew you right now. So just take a moment right now and pray in the silence of your heart and respond to God and what he's been saying to you.